Welcome to the Globig Podcast, where we talk to international expansion experts from around the world to make it faster and easier for you to take your business global. Welcome to the Globig Podcast. I'm Anka Corbin, your host. Now, many companies are finding themselves expanding their employee pool by hiring international employees. Now, sometimes that happens all at once, such as in a merger or acquisition, and other times it's a slower, ongoing process for fast-growing companies to look for and hire skilled employees anywhere in the world, sometimes one country at a time. Now, beyond the logistical and regulatory issues related to how to find, pay, and manage employees, there are softer issues that have significant impact, Yes, yet we less frequently discuss these challenges, and we're not as prepared for when hiring and managing employees in different countries. In this podcast, we're going to talk about company culture, culture shock, and how it impacts employee loyalty for international employees. And our guest expert is Bill Armstrong, the president of Gava Talent Solutions. Gava Talent Solutions is a global leader in professional staffing and consulting services, doing business in over 100 countries. Bill, it's so great to have you today. Great. It is uh, great to be here, Anke. Awesome. So as our listeners know, I'm a big supporter of working on cultural sensitivity and awareness and preparation, especially international, because I found that often, whether it's the country culture, the company culture, or how companies engage with their foreign employees that can make or break an international expansion, a merger or acquisition over the long term. So knowing that, how might companies prepare for the local culture? And what have you seen as far as examples, how culture is really different and maybe has that direct impact on how business is done? Yeah, I think the big thing here is awareness. And I think the more you can do uh, to make people aware, you know, sort of on both sides of the equation about what to expect, what some of the um, the cultural differences might be, um, the, the, the better off things are going to go. Um, and I will never forget that I was uh, part of a company that got acquired um, by a, a large Dutch company. And they were sending an operations uh, analyst over here to the States to kind of look under the hood a little bit and try and figure out what it was they just bought. And so my job was to go get this gentleman at the airport and then drive him uh, downtown to where we had a, you know, a big kind of hub office, um, show him around, introduce him to the team and, and that sort of thing. So I go pick him up at the airport, open the door, he gets in my car. And before I have my seatbelt on, as I'm getting into the car on the other side, and this is somebody I've never seen before in my life, he just starts asking me all of these questions. And they're all about financial ratios. And he pulls out, you know, our, our last, um, you know, published financial statement. And he's asking all sort of things on the ratio of staffing to sales and, you know, payroll to net income. And he's got these different names for them. They're different things than we called them over here. And so now I'm driving, you know, to downtown and trying to process all of this. And, you know, I'm trying to make a good impression because this is the first person I've met at this new company. Um, and it was a stressful drive to downtown. <laughs> and 
then we get there and show them around the office and meet with them a little more. And again, it's just question, 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 question. Um, and then we have a lunch with the team. And when we're sitting down at this lunch with the team, somebody asked him this question. And, uh, you know, they said, Robert, um, you do this all over the world. It's, you know, part of your job. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, is it different going from country to country? And he's like, oh, yeah, it, it's tremendously different. He goes, thankfully, you guys, you know, are just like us, the Dutch, that you can get right to the point, very direct. He's like, when Bill picked me up this morning, he goes, I don't even think we said hello. And I was asking him about all these financial ratios. And he said, in other countries, I couldn't do that. But I knew since I was in the United States, I didn't have to, to do the, the, the warm up stuff. And I'm thinking, you know, you could have done a little bit of warm up stuff. Right. Maybe we aren't quite like the Dutch. But that was a, and this guy turned out to be, you know, I worked with him for several years, just super nice guy. And, um, you know, a very um, people uh, uh, oriented um, guy, um, you know, really cared about the people that he worked with, is what I'm saying, and as you got to know him. Um, but on this first, and so he wasn't intending this at all to be um, in any way off-putting. But to me, not having ever experienced this before and that sort of management style and not understanding some of these cultural differences, you know, it did feel a little off-putting. And I'm just thinking like, oh, man, what have we gotten into now that, you know, if this is how it's going to be? But then once you got to know him and just that little comment at lunch, I'm like, oh, he realized exactly what he was doing. And, you know, he didn't give two, two thoughts about it. So, you know, I think that's like a perfect example of what can happen when a party on either side goes into this without a lot of awareness or understanding of, of how this interaction might be different um, than if there weren't some of those cultural differences. It's pretty fascinating that he chose to just jump right in. So in a sense, he wasn't quite as aware and maybe as in tune to the American culture as he thought he was, right? So so there were some assumptions, and those assumptions might not have been correct. And he chose to maybe not err on the side of caution, which is probably what you would want to do for the most part, unless you actually do want to put everyone on notice and make them a little nervous from the very beginning. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, I don't think he was trying to do that. But to right. your point, yeah, that I, I do think that that he, um, you know, that we aren't as maybe touchy feely as some other places in the world are, but we, but it's not typically customary that you wouldn't even say hello, good morning, how are you, any of those things before you started asking these kinds of questions. Right, absolutely. And then you had mentioned before that there's in some countries where that's something you couldn't do at all, right? So let's share a little bit more about where that direct sort of immediate business, go-to-business thing might make or break a deal. Yeah, I mean, and I think you know, yet particularly, I mean, think about it if you're dealing with a client that way. Mm -hmm. um, then I think that becomes especially important. You know, in the example I gave, you know, we had just been acquired. They were the acquirer. We were the acquiree. I, I'm there. I'm kind of, for lack of a better word, I'm kind of stuck in this situation. 
and he can pretty much do, you know, whatever he wants. And then as an employee, you know, obviously we all have a chance, you know, if we choose to stay or go or whatever, but, you know, I wasn't going to make that kind of decision based on a car ride to the city. So we had a very captive audience that, that didn't have, you know, many other options other than, you know, to kind of just keep going down that road with him. But think about if you're dealing with a client like that, um, and you have a, a similar interaction like that, uh, you know, with a client that could be, you know, disastrous. That that could be, you know, that that could be the end of the story right there. Because mm-hmm. um, uh, very rarely, I know, when we're usually not the, uh, dealing with clients in a vacuum. I mean, there are other competitors, you know, that that are out there. And so you have to pay particular attention to that, I think, when you're dealing with somebody that has all kinds of options. Well, and I think that our culture, I mean, I'm speaking now as U.S. culture, is very go to business, try to close the deal, don't mess around too much. And then you have cultures such as those in the Middle East and in Asia and, frankly, a number of EU cultures where that relationship still has to be built up before it almost doesn't even matter whether the deal is a good deal initially. First step is, do they want to do business with you? And that's done over many meals and getting to know you and kind of those softer metrics, if you will, or softer, you know, approaches. Right. And you can't shortcut those. Right. We always try to, don't we? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we I think that there's a lot to be said around that, but then there's also so, you know, in your situation, did you find when you finally had to provide information and deliverables and give updates that there was kind of a pretty big disconnect between you know, in America, we like to provide the highlights and then allow people to dig deeper in the things that they care about. Where, whether, but in other cultures such as the Dutch and the Germans, they want masses of details from the very beginning, and they want to really dig through that before they get to the high-level data. Right. So there's all sorts of disconnects, even just in how do you present information to each other. Were you? Did you run into some of that as well? Yes, I, I think that's, um, you know, I think that's very fair. Um, and, uh, you know, particularly when you're dealing, um, you know, if you're dealing with people that are in sort of senior level management, that you're just, you know, they want it quick. They want the, you know, kind of the, the, the short recap version. They don't want to dive deep. You know, other people will do that. And while I think that was still the case that you know even with the dutch but but they do have they they do want to dive in a little bit deeper i think to some of the specifics than than we were probably used to diving into mm-hmm. and i know when we had um you know management meetings going forward and and they were present um that we would spend more time on the analytics on the metrics um you know, we would try to quantify as much as we could, and we would dive a layer deeper than we would have done those things, you know, without them being there. Right. You know, and some of these, what I would call just differences in communication styles and and business styles, they, over time, can lead to, you know, people feeling like maybe they're not 
accomplishing enough or other or even on the other side where they feel that the people aren't as diligent or there's these miscommunications and these misunderstandings that drive people potentially to feel less welcome or feel you know undesired or just don't feel like they're really a good fit right right no absolutely absolutely you know what one of the other ways that people will typically have you know some sort of culture shock is when you know so it's it's pretty reasonable to assume that there will be some culture shock for employees in a in a foreign country that they you know are working with management from other countries um as well as culture shock for international assignments where expats are being sent into a foreign country to help with expanding there or managing that team this is i think one of those areas where you know so let's say it's going the other direction and you're the acquirer or you're going to build a team internationally and then you bring a senior manager over there's also significant impact to those managers so what are some signs maybe to recognize around culture shock especially that might lead to some trouble in the in the workforce in the future you know, I, I think one thing is you're if you're potentially wondering, well, maybe why isn't this manager as effective as I thought they were going to be? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if there's you know sort of a, a sense of you know frustration from the manager, and like I said, the results aren't quite where you, they would typically be for this person. Um, I, I think. Those are some immediate signs that you you have to you know to dig deeper, and you know like for example we had um, sent you know a manager abroad, and you, you know this person is was used to operating at a you know very sort of top level uh, in a top level way and telling people okay this is what I need you to do and does that work you have it and yep got it got it. So, okay, then he's going to walk away and think, you know, that, yeah, that that's, that's done. The person knows what I mean. And in some cultures, people aren't going to tell you they don't know what you mean. Um, they're not going to ask a lot of questions of the, you know, of a, of, a, of a manager, particularly a senior manager. They're going to assume that the manager says it and it's their job to sort of figure it out and, and do it but they aren't going to start questioning the senior manager. And so what we found out is that, you know, he was thinking that they got it and then we were seeing what was going on. And then we realized that, that, that they didn't have it and they didn't have it not because they weren't capable because they didn't quite understand what he was looking for. And he wasn't being specific enough uh, and sort of laying out. These are the tasks that I need to have done. And then this is the result I'm looking for from those tasks. And then here's how we're going to measure it. And then like, oh, okay, that I got. But just trying to shortchange it from, you know, here's where I am today and this is the end result I get. And then thinking that, that they understood exactly what he wanted, there there was a big disconnect there. And so there's a lot of frustration on, you know, both sides. Um, the, 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 the work product wasn't, you know, up to standard. And then as, you know, you start to peel back the layers, you realize that it's all because 
you know, it all goes back to a, you know, to a, to a cultural difference that, you know, you, you've got to really spell out exactly what you're, you know, you're looking for and, you know, be more specific. Um, and then once, you know, we did that, then all of a sudden things snapped into place pretty quickly. So again, it's communication and really over communicating and setting the stage from the very beginning to so that everyone recognizes that there's going to be these huge differences in expectations and understanding and communication to work through it by over communicating, right? You know, in this situation, right. I would imagine both the senior executive felt like they weren't as effective as they thought they would, or they had a team that they need to replace, or so anger, frustration, kind of all those things. And then his team was also completely frustrated and had a big culture shock because they didn't feel like they were performing to the expectations and the senior executive wasn't really helping them enough, right? Right. And I think what you get sometimes with the senior executive is they probably first go to, I've got the wrong team. That's right. Like, I know what I'm doing. If I wasn't good, I wouldn't be in this role, and I've got the wrong people here. And then, you know, what can be frustrating is then you go get another team, and then you get the same result, and you just say, oh, the people over here can't do this job. Mm -hmm. You know, they just can't do it over here. We've got to pull this back. But then you realize, well, yeah, you know, they, they can do it. Some very smart people, but you've got to communicate with them in a different way. You can't assume as much. You've got to be a little bit more specific. And then once they've got it, they've got it. But you can't let go of it until you've tested it and you're sure that, that, that they have it. Do you think it takes a certain type of executive? I'm One of the things I've read is, is that not every really awesome executive in one culture is really great at transferring into another because they just might not have the ability or even the desire to be learning and flexible and open-minded and testing new strategies. And so some people are better suited than others, if you will. I, I think that's true. And I, I think you, you need to have a lot. Some, I think you've got to be self-aware um, when you're dealing on either side, when you're dealing with the other cultures and you know, one of the things that I've personally had to, um, uh, you know, kind of check myself on, you know, because we have a large team in, in India that I um, that I work with almost on a, on a daily basis and, you know, and visit quite frequently. And that is that I, I um, you know, over here, I, I tend to handle some, you know, stressful situations and things like that with a, you know, a sense of humor. And, you know, if I feel that it's, getting a little tense or heavy, you know, I'll try and make light of the situation a little bit. Um, and, you know, to just kind of get work through some of those difficult moments. And then you go over there and realize people don't get your sense of humor. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, it, they're not sure what to make of what it was you just said. And this little, you know, joke that might've really lightened the mood here. I've got like 10 people staring at me like, who is this guy? And so then I quickly figured out, oh, okay, I, I've got to find a, a different mechanism here um, in order to do this, um, you know, or a different sense of humor. But, you know, but, but some of these, uh, some of the mechanisms that I would use here don't work so well over there. Mm. Absolutely. And I think as long as you're aware of it, 
you know, nobody's going to be perfect in these situations, but I think the people that are successful are the people that are aware and are willing to adapt. And the people that have trouble is either you're not, you're not aware. I mean, you just don't even get it that, that, that they don't under have any idea what you're talking about. Um, or you do, they do, and you don't really care because you're like, that's who I am. And that's the way I do it. You know, if, if you, you aren't, a, if you aren't aware and adaptable, then, then that's going to be a, a difficult thing for you to do. You know, sometimes it's, hard because it takes you into a direction that you're not really comfortable with. So one of the companies I'm familiar with, they have a product that's all about software development and servant leadership. And, and so kind of this really flat organizational approach to developing software. And in certain cultures, they found that, and they brought senior executives over and they found that not only was it not resonating because it was a very hierarchical culture and that that whole concept of flat organization, senior leadership, and then their approach to how they were training every bit of it. So not only did they have to change their product and how they approach it, but they had to change out the executives so that they could really work within that culture. It was it's It's fascinating how big of an impact those sorts of things really can have. True. Yeah. No, they can have a, you know, it can have a, you know, a, a very, a very big impact. So we've got, you know, we've got the, all right, how do you, you know, how do you become aware? We've got making sure you send the right people. And then there's the, when you send an expat over, they also sometimes come with their family or significant others. And, you know, while we might spend some time training that executive to be aware of all of these challenges, often those significant others are forgotten or left behind in some sense, and they also will have challenges, right? So they get to this other country, and then maybe they realize, you know, they don't attach as quickly, they don't understand how to build friendships, they, you know, things aren't working the way on the home front that the way that they want. And so in a sense, we kind of call it somewhat of a crash and burn in that foreign country because then the family wants to return home. So there's all this stress on that expat executive. Like we, it's not only the executive that needs to be assisted with, right. And you know, how do you help, how do you help the families too? Yeah. And, and again, I think it's, um, you, you know, it's, it's almost, you need to, you need to provide, a lot of resources for the families, um, you know, and ideally, you know, before uh, the families go over there um, so that that they understand and have some sort of a, a sense of, you know, the lay of the land on some of these things. And I think, you know, big multinational corporations that, that do this thing all the time, I, I think for the most part, probably do a, a, you know, a pretty decent, you know, job of this. But I think it's when companies don't do it all the time and mm-hmm. these things are done much you know with much obviously then much less frequent that there maybe isn't as much you know planning and there aren't as many resources available and people underestimate the amount of stress that just you know sort of the day-to-day life um you know can create you know when you're in a foreign country i mean you know what do you do 
if you need a doctor, you mm-hmm. know, what do you do? How do you find a dentist? You know, where do you get a prescription? Um, can you even get your you know, right prescription in that country? Right. Right. Um, you know, and what, what to expect in these situations, you know, there, you don't, there's no like, Oh, I would call the Kaiser health nurse or whatever. If you, if you're on those benefits, you know, and, and so it's just, I think around some of these big topics, um, you really do need to provide those kinds of, of, of resources, um, around these, these day-to-day things that can alleviate, you know, a lot of stress. And then not to mention if there are, um, kids involved and uh what's the situation um with school Mm -hmm. um you know and finding a the the, the proper school and um you know are there any sort of after school you know programs or uh you know what are the opportunities for you know the you know the children to get together and meet other other children and you know things along those lines that we sort of take for granted here do you find that that's something? Because I, I think a lot of companies are just not helping that way. Like you said, the larger companies, I think, have recognized that it's really important. But often those what I'd call fast-growing scale-ups and different companies like that, they just are like, well, here's your allocation for your moving expenses, and then you can go figure out everything else. But it puts so much tension on that family and then the executive that they – probably can't even focus on the job if you don't help them through those pieces, right? Yeah, no, I, I think it's very true. And I think even domestically, you know, we get into a, you know, mm. a little bit of that. Occasionally we'll move people around and, um, you know, with our clients, um, you know, even here in the U.S. And um, you, you, you know, take it for granted that, you know, things in this new place are going to be like where they were at the old place, or at least the company does. And then you get there and it, and it isn't exactly the same and you don't know quite where to go. And so I think whenever, you know, if maybe there's a, you know, a mentor that somebody can go to, um, you know, to just ask some of these questions um, without feeling silly about it. And it can maybe get somebody to to point them in the right direction. um, You know, then I think, uh, um, you know, then I think it makes a world of difference. Absolutely. Both at the work as well as outside of work, right? If you can kind of surround them and, and maybe that's just part of what, you know, I know we did it in schools and they do it at college is when they onboard new kids is like they provide mentorship, right? They provide someone that can take them around and show them where people get lunch, invite them to the lunch table. You know, like what are all those things that make for a really positive experience? And then the same for the family members and trying to surround them with mentors as well. I think that's a really great advice. Anything else you think would be helpful in recognizing or alleviating some of these kind of whether it's a company culture shock or just country culture shock or, you know, how that then impacts whether people stay at the company and are loyal to the company. The, you know, I, I, my only, um, you know, my only advice on that is I think just understanding that if you really want, you know, so what are you trying to do in this other country? And if you're trying to affect, you know, great change and 
you want to turn over the the you you bought a group you want to you know you want to turn that over you want to instill new management or leadership or whatever okay then 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 that's one thing but if you uh, are going into a company that you're sending your people over or maybe you've made an acquisition and the whatever you acquired is actually producing uh really well and you want to continue um to 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 have uh that operation and those people for the most part then I think you just have to have this awareness that that it goes both ways. And while certainly uh, the the entity that you acquired is going to have to make some changes to conform with, you know, how you do things and what's important and, and, and so forth, you have to understand that if you really want this to be a good partnership, that there are going to be a few things that you're going to have to bend on your side as well. Um and then it, it it can't just be trying to stuff, you know, everybody, you know, kind of into the same box. I mean, you, you can do that, but, you know, you're not going to retain people that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you and if you do want to retain people, then, you know, there has to be um, there. Ha- it has to be a two way street. Right. There's a reason they say that most mergers and acquisitions either struggle or fail because they move too fast. They're not listening. They don't recognize what key components have to stay, and they don't recognize how to make the talent that is there happy or you know want to be part of kind of the new vision. And I think it can be done, and I think we can do a much better job. So all of these are really, really great advice. Yeah, and I think you know, and I think you also need to be um, you know straight up. Um, with people as well. And I think, you know, I've been through, I believe, seven acquisitions in my career. And uh, three of them, uh, my company was acquired by a, um, you know, a a foreign company, you know, somebody outside the United States. And, you know, in one case, um, the, the company that acquired us came in and said, look, we acquired you because the company is producing at an incredibly high rate. Um, we don't want to get in the way of that and we want you to keep doing what you're doing and we're going to provide some additional resources and money and things like that for you. Um, but we want you to keep kind of operating independently and, you know, you know your country better than we know your country. And then they stuck to that. And of course, everybody's going to put a little bit of their own spin on it, but, you know, we all kind of felt empowered by that Um, and it turned out to be a great working relationship and our results just grew exponentially from that Um, I was through another one where they flew all of us over to the country um, you know or they they had several of us over to the to the country and we got to meet with the new CEO and basically gave a very similar speech that that um, I'd gotten you know from the, the one I just mentioned and then literally, as soon as we touched down in the States, everything changed. Like within a week, we had like an, an, a new operations manual that we were expected to follow. And clearly, the operations manual, it was like a one-size-fits-all manual. And so it didn't really work with our, um, you know, our IT systems. And things were called different things. And you're looking at it, and they you have to do this or that, but there's nothing in our 
you know, in our system that that's called that. And so you're trying to figure out, well, what is, what do they mean by this? And how do we map that? And how does this become this? And, you know, it was very confusing. And, and then, you know, we wound up, um, you know, we wound up losing a lot of people through that transition and, and, and the results, um, certainly suffered from it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if, if, if you want to do it a different way and you want to turn over the staff, um, you know, then that, that's a way to do it. But if, but if you don't want to do that, <laughs> you, you know, and, you know, for what we do on, on the staffing side there, you know, and generally how these commissions plan commission plans worked uh, for people that were doing perm staffing is the more you build the 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 more um you know the the higher you the more you got paid obviously but then you got paid at a higher percentage as you hurt as you hit these certain tiers so if you're somebody that's billing you know a very very high rate one of the top billers in the company you are getting the percentage of each deal that you get is going to be much higher than a, you know, than a a rookie that you've just hired Mm -hmm. because they were going to hit, they're going to hit every single one of these tiers. And so they basically, you know, one of the companies came in and said, this doesn't make any sense to me. Like we're paying this person X amount of money and, you know, they're billing, you know, this big number. So let's just get rid of that person. And then we can hire three people and still pay them less and then we'll get the same production with the three people and pay less money like this is a no-brainer and but then you realize look it's not that black and white because Mm -hmm. that person is as good as they are because of their experience because of their relationships because they know everybody in, in 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 their geography and the skill that they're doing right and then you go you you could hire four new people that all added up might not even bill half of what this person does in the next year because they don't have the relationships. They don't, they don't know all the back roads. And so what it looks like on paper and the reality of, um, you know, what it is um, when you actually, you know, the rubber meets the road can be two very different things. Absolutely. And then oftentimes that just allows a really, really highly talented person to go and compete against you, right? That's exactly, um, that's exactly what happened. And, um, you know, particularly in California, like in some states, there are some laws that prohibit that. Um, But if you're in a a place like California, um, there's no such thing as a non-compete. It's it's, uh, unenforceable. So mm-hmm. that person could walk across the street um, to our biggest competitor and just pick right up where they left off, and there's nothing you can do about it. Right. Um, and so it's just that that disconnect of you know the black and white versus understanding you know how it really works you know in that particular geography. Right, and then the metrics that they had initially thought were the reason for the acquisition in the first place, they're just never going to meet those if they don't keep the quality and just make improvements instead of these hugely disruptive changes, right? Right, right. And you've got to think about, you know, those two, that the metrics aren't necessarily going to work the same in each location, and they're not necessarily going to work the same for, you know, each each person that, 
you know, somebody that's been doing it for 15 years probably needs a different set of metrics than somebody that's been doing it, you know, for, for two years. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely great advice. So all in all, there's a lot of complexity. You need to over-communicate, recognize that everything is different, and then decide what your objective is, but don't forget the impact on the individuals and how they can really make something successful or not. In, in the long run. So, Bill, I, I want to thank you. This is a really interesting talk, topic and one that I think is ignored and it comes to bike companies later and they don't really know, you know, what went wrong. So thank you again for joining us. And it's always a pleasure to have you as our guest. Um, now, to our listeners, please make sure that you join the free resource hub on globig.co if you're serious about doing business internationally. Um, we have a lot of business, HR, and data privacy management information, and we also connect you to great services such as Gava Talent Solutions, just to make your day-to-day -day much more productive. Please subscribe to this podcast channel for more fantastic international expansion podcasts.